Well, as you heard, we're in the uh, Easter series now, and this is traditionally what's called Palm Sunday. And so we're going to read uh, a passage from Mark's Gospel, which talks about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 11. And if not, don't worry, it's going to come up on the screen. And this describes Jesus really at the start of Passover week, his entry into Jerusalem. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. I always feel like whoever the person was whose donkey that was, is like, it's just some guy outside my house. He's taking, he's nicking my donkey, and like, it's like someone just coming to your house and taking your car. Like, you know, that's the kind of thing that was happening. Anyway, they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing there asked, "What are you doing? Untying that colt? <laughs> Leave my car alone." They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This week I was on a train, and I was doing a bit of work, and I had to make a phone call. And as I'm making the phone call, I became aware, as I'm on the phone, that all the other people sitting near me on the train are pretending not to listen to my phone call, but they definitely are listening in, right? You know that? How many of you have ever been on a train, and someone near you is making a phone call, and you you don't give them any eye contact, you're not leaning in physically, but you're really interested. How many of you have done that? Okay. (laughs) We all do that, right? And I realized as this was happening that basically when you hear other people's phone call, you get half the the phone call, don't you? You can hear half. You hear this person's responding. You have no idea who this other person is on the other end. And so your brain, at least mine does, my brain starts to try and make up what the other person is saying. You know, you're trying to work out who are they? What are they arranging? What are they agreeing? Who's this other? Are they a spy? I don't know. What's going on? And you try and you get this kind of half story. You get like a little snapshot moment and you create the other thing and you make a whole bunch of assumptions about what this conversation is going on. When you read a bit of passage of scripture like this and you see, you take this passage, it's like you get a snapshot. But unless you understand the context and what was really going on, what you can happen is you can make a whole bunch of assumptions about what is happening in this moment and misread the whole context. And you get a little snapshot here. So if you were, for imagine, if you had just been on Jerusalem on that day and you, just, you were there as Jesus comes in, you would make these assumptions, I think. You would say this. What you're seeing now is this is a triumphal entry of a long-awaited hero. A champion is entering the city, one who is about to rule, and something extraordinary is about to happen. Now, in part, you would be right, okay? Because something extraordinary is about to happen in the story. A champion is entering the city, and there is a king coming, but he is not the king they are expecting. See, you would assume that this is the beginning point now of an earthly reign is about to take the throne, and now his kingdom is about to come, and he begins to rule. Well, actually, what you find is 
the day we are celebrating today and remembering this welcoming into Jerusalem is the beginning, not of an earthly rule, but the beginning of his last and final week. And his entrance into Jerusalem is not walking towards the throne, but towards the cross. And one of the scary things about this Easter passage is how fast the crowds change their tune and how quick the emotions shift. Okay, Because the crowds one day are shouting, Hosanna, which means save us. Days later are shouting, crucify him. You know, Peter, one moment is saying to Jesus, I won't, you know, I will never leave you. I'm going to lay my life down for you. You know, and hours later, he is denying that he even knows Jesus. And we know this about ourselves, don't we? That one minute we can lift our hands and sing songs, and minutes later, we can live like God isn't even real. See, I think one of the reasons why the crowds turn so fast is because the truth is they don't really understand who Jesus is. They misunderstood the one that they welcomed and the gift that was before them. One of my favorite stories I found a few years ago, it's about four brothers who all leave home for college and they become successful. They're doctors and lawyers and they prosper. And some years later, the brothers get together and they have dinner and they discuss after dinner the gifts that they are going to, or they're able to give and have been able to give their elderly mother who lived far away in another city. And the first one said this, I had a big house built for mama. The second said, I had a $100,000 theater built in her house. The third one said, I had my Mercedes dealer deliver to her an SL600. <laughs> yeah. Well, amen. The fourth one said, listen to this. You know how mama loved reading the Bible and you know she can't read it anymore because she can't see very well. Well, I met this priest who told me about a parrot that can recite the entire Bible. It took, a tw- it took 20 priests 12 years to teach him. I had to pledge to contribute $100,000 a year for 20 years to the church, but it was worth it. Mama just had to name the chapter and verse and the parrot will recite it. This is a true story, by the way. No, it's not really. I'm just like, really? You can buy parrots like that. I'm bringing one to church. It'd be great. The other brothers were impressed. After the holidays, mum sent out her thank you notes. She wrote to Milton. Milton, the house you built is so huge. I live in only one room, but I had to clean the whole house. Thanks anyway. Marvin, I'm too old to travel. I stay home. I have my groceries delivered, so I never use the Mercedes. The thought was good. Thanks. Some of you guys are like going, I'll have them say this. Michael, you gave me an expensive theater with Dolby surround sound. It could hold 50 people, but all my friends are dead. I've lost my hearing and I'm nearly blind. I never use it. Thank you for the gesture. Just the same. Dearest Melvin, you were the only son to have the good sense to give a little thought to your gift. The chicken was delicious. Thank you. It's worth coming to church just for that story. (laughs) See, the people who welcomed Jesus misunderstood the gift that was before them. If you read Matthew's account, in fact, it says the whole city was stirred up and asking, who is this? And Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the day that we celebrate as Palm Sunday, 
and he is making a very, very definite statement about who he is. Some of it is clear, some of it is more subtle, but he makes a statement. One of my favorite kind of iconic sporting moments, just hearing Charles talk about sports quizzes, was back in 2003, and the English rugby team were on the verge of winning the Six Nations rugby. And they had, the backstory was they had been on the verge of this for many occasions, and every year they got to the final game and they'd blown it. And so they geared up to this final game, and this is the year that they went on to win the World Cup. And in their final game in 2003, they are playing the Irish in Dublin. Okay, which is a particularly difficult place to go and play. So they turn up there, and the story is it's a true story, and you can see it on YouTube still now. Martin Johnson, the English rugby captain, who was a pretty belligerent kind of guy, and he was about 10 foot tall as well, okay, leads the English team out onto the pitch, okay, onto the opposition pitch. And there's all this protocol about where you're supposed to line up, and he leads them onto the Irish side. And he lines up the English team where the Irish are supposed to line up. And all the officials come and say, can you move, can you move, you'll be supposed to be over there, the, you know, the president's coming, and he refuses to move. And you can see the footage of it now, and he's there, and he's waving them away, and because they, he's about this tall, they're all about this tall. In the end, they can't do anything about it, and they stay as they are, and the Irish have to line up alongside them. And basically, what he's saying is, we're going to play like we're at home, and we're gonna, this is our home for today. And they go on to win, and they win the Six Nations, and they win the World Cup. And he makes this statement. Jesus, when he rides into Jerusalem, makes a statement. And I want to tell you about three things in particular that he's really saying as he comes in that we can miss if we don't understand the context. The first thing Jesus says as he comes in, as we consider welcoming him, is he says this, I am the king. I am the king. Often in the Gospels, there are moments where Jesus actually seems to downplay his profile. And he says often, because my time hasn't come. So he heals people, and then he says, don't tell everybody. The crowds start to gather and the momentum is building and he kind of like disappears and withdraws or moves on because all the time he's trying to decelerate or deaccelerate what's going on. But on this occasion, Jesus is promoting his profile and he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and in effect he's saying, I am the king. What happens is this, he says to his disciples, go to that place, get me a donkey, bring it here and I'll ride in. Why was he doing that? Because that was a messianic statement of intent. There are prophetic promises to Israel in the Old Testament about a king who is coming who will ride on a donkey. So Zechariah 9 verse 8 says this, But I will defend my house against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people, for now I am keeping watch. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. A cult, the foal of a donkey. All the Jewish people who are in Jerusalem, who welcome Jesus, will know this scripture. They all know. And suddenly one comes riding into the center of the city on a donkey. And Jesus is fulfilling and embodying a prophetic promise about a king coming. And Jesus effectively is saying, it's me. I'm the one. And the people respond, don't they? First of all, they take their cloaks off and they put them on the road. This is what they did for royal kings who came. So if you read in the Old Testament, in 2 Kings 9, you'll see a story. As a king enters Jerusalem, they take their cloaks and they put them off the floor. In other words, they're saying, here comes royalty. 
and they take them off. Then they get branches and they cut them and wave them and they put them down. Again, this is the way they welcomed royalty into the city. This is all in their history. And then they sing a song, like a royal song. If the queen was to walk in now, we would have to, you know, you'd be standing, you'd sing the national anthem. It's a, it's a song welcoming royalty. And they sing an extract from Psalm 118, which is a song about welcoming a king into Jerusalem. And they sing this, Hosanna, which means save us. It's, a, it's praise and it's prayer all wrapped up into one. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. What does that mean? Well, they're in Jerusalem. This is David's city. David had been in their history, the greatest king they had, who had established the most significant kingdom they'd ever known. And they are waiting for a king to come again in David's line who will reestablish what David had. That's what they're looking for. Jesus rides into the capital city and they say, Blessed are you. Come to David's kingdom. Reestablish David's kingdom. You're a king. And they welcome him like a king when Jesus says, yes, I am. That's the first statement. The second statement he makes is more subtle and more tricky to discern. But it's this. Jesus is saying, I'm the lamb. I'm a king, but I'm the lamb. When John the Baptist first sees Jesus coming, what does John the Baptist say? He says, behold, the lamb of God approaches. Jesus is welcomed into Jerusalem at the start of Passover week. Now that is very significant. Let me explain Passover if you don't know so much about that. Passover was the Jewish festival that they celebrated every year, looking back to what happened in their history hundreds of years before with Moses. At that point, the Jewish nation were living in Egypt in slavery under the rule of Pharaoh. And God speaks to Moses, gets hold of Moses and says, I'm going to get you to lead my people out of slavery, out of Egypt, into a new land. It's called the Exodus. And Pharaoh, because the Israelites are their slaves, refuses to let the Jews go. So then you get this episode after episode where God sends plague after plague in order to loosen Pharaoh's grip. Pharaoh refuses to let the Jews go. So what happens is the final thing comes. And God says, tell Pharaoh that at midnight on that day, I will pass through Egypt and the firstborn son in every household, even in the animals, is going to die. Tell Pharaoh. But then he said to Moses, but for the Jewish nation, for my people, you are, each household is to get hold of a lamb, one year old, spotless lamb. Okay, there are echoes here of a Messiah coming. Spotless lamb, you are to take the lamb, you are to sacrifice the lamb, you are to cook the lamb, and you are to eat it. And you take the blood from the lamb, and you put the blood on the doorposts over your house. That is a sign, so that when I pass through Egypt at midnight to bring judgment and death, I will pass over every house where there is the sign of the blood. And that's what happens. No death comes to the house where there's the sign of the blood. And, he, and Pharaoh relinquishes his grip. He says, get out, go. They go, they get out, they get away, they get through the sea, and they get into a new land. They come out of slavery, physical slavery into a new physical place. Now, if you read the Exodus passages, what you find is God gives very explicit instructions as to how to celebrate Passover. And he says this, first of all, we're going to rename 
this is the first month of the year. Like us kind of going, we're going to call this one January now. First month. New year, first month. And he says this, on the 10th day of the first month, that is the day each household selects the lamb that's going to be sacrificed. On the 10th day. And on the 14th day, you sacrifice it and eat it and celebrate Passover. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the 10th day of the first month. He is welcomed at the start of the Passover week on the day where lambs were selected for sacrifice. See, Jesus is the king they are waiting for, but he is not the Messiah they expected. They welcomed him, they lift their hands to him, but they didn't recognize him. And the reason they didn't recognize him is because, like us often, they misunderstood their deepest need and problem. You see, we think often the real problems are all the external things. We think, if only I could sort out my money situation, if only if I could get my career on track, if only I could sort out that relationship and all those situations, my context. Now, those things are important. It's not that they're not important. They are. But they're not the most important issue. They're not your deepest problem. And the Jews were the same. They looked at their context and said, we, just, we need someone who's going to come and fix our context, our circumstance. We are occupied by Romans. We're an occupied country. We need one to liberate us from occupation. Just like Moses got them out from under Pharaoh, we need someone to get the Romans out to come and fix our scenario. You see, they misunderstood. See, they thought their deepest problem was the fact they're occupied. Their deepest problem, however, was the fact that they, like us, were infected. Infected by sin, falling short of God, and absolutely nothing we or they could do about it. That's where we are before you come to Jesus. We need someone not to save us from our circumstances, okay? God does change circumstances. But fundamentally, you don't need someone to save you from your context. You need someone to save you from yourself. That's who I need. Not to change my circumstances, but to change my heart. To take my, the penalty which is mine and to liberate me from my own addiction to sinfulness. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the 10th day of the first month, on Lamb Selection Day. Four days later, on the 14th day of the month, when the lambs are sacrificed and eaten and they celebrate Passover, Jesus gathers his disciples, breaks bread with them, pours wine with them, and says this, this is my body broken for you, this is my blood poured out for you. What's he saying? He's saying, I am the Passover lamb. I lay down my life. And through me, every sacrifice is fulfilled. 
I am, if you like, the sacrifice that ends every sacrifice. See, often we, we want to keep making sacrifices. You don't need to make a sacrifice. You don't bring anything to this deal. It doesn't count what you do. What counts is whether you bend the knee and surrender. He ends every sacrifice. And what happens centuries before, where people are freed from physical slavery into a physical new land, Jesus is coming to fulfill in far greater reality than you can ever possibly get your head around. The judgment and penalty and wrath for sin will be paid for through his sacrifice. Anyone, all of us who are broken, bound up, held up in slavery to sin, addictions, all the unhealthy things that we know we get caught up in, now, Jesus is saying, through me, you can be set free from the penalty and from the power, out of slavery, out of bondage, out of captivity, new life, new person, new hope. I'm the Lamb. And then he's also making this statement. Jesus is saying this. This starts now. Here and now. See, his entry into Jerusalem was the beginning of his walk towards the cross. And his walk towards the cross, which we'll celebrate as this week goes on and think about more again next Sunday and Friday, is the moment where God opens the door for you and I to be able to respond. The Jews wanted a king to come and overthrow the Romans to take the throne by force. Jesus comes not to take the throne, but to lay his life down. He doesn't come, if you like, on a horse of war. He comes on a donkey, and his throne was a wooden cross. The crowds welcomed him, but really he is coming so that he can welcome us. Right near the very beginning of his ministry, there's a story in Luke 4 about Jesus goes to the synagogue and reads from a scroll, a passage of scripture from Isaiah 61. He stands up and he reads it, and this is what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then he sits down. And everyone's like, now, What's really interesting about that is that Jesus doesn't read all of Isaiah 61. Because if you go on to actually read the rest of Isaiah 61, it says, and declare the day of vengeance. Favor, mercy, good news, and vengeance. Judgment, in other words. Why doesn't Jesus read the whole thing in Luke 4? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus is saying, I'm inaugurating a season now of good news. The door is opening of favor and mercy. Of anyone who can, wants to come can come to God and get right with God. And that is the season we're in. And that's what Jesus secures and wins on the cross. But there will be a day, Isaiah 61 says, when the rest of that passage is fulfilled. When Jesus doesn't come on a donkey but comes on a white horse when actually the chance to bow the knee willingly is gone, and now every knee will bow the knee, whatever. Revelation 19 says this, okay? I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his heads are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. 
there will be a day when every knee bows. Every knee. But Jesus is saying, as he rides into Jerusalem, as he is welcomed in, that he is opening the door to bow the knee willingly, to surrender willingly. You will bow the knee one way or the other. Okay? Everyone will. It will be a very different experience bowing the knee because you're forced into submission than if you surrender willingly. How do we respond? What should I do? How do I welcome him? Well, just as Jesus enters Jerusalem as a king and says, I'm the king, you need to recognize him as a king. That's true for everyone. For some of us, we've never made this decision when we've not crossed the line of faith where we said to Jesus, okay, I'm following you. But it's true for everybody in the room that everybody has to acknowledge him as the king. Okay, not just a friend, not just one who comes to help us out when we're struggling a bit, not someone that we domesticate, but someone that we literally lay everything down to and for. As the king, you have to acknowledge he's the king. And I'm not the king. He's in charge. I'm not going to take a bit of what you say. I'm going to take everything you say. I'm not going to take a bit that I like of what you say and then I'm going to add in my own philosophies and do my own thing. That's not acknowledging him as a king. That's just taking him as a bit of a self-help guru. You have to say he's the king or he's not. You have to acknowledge him as king. You have to say, you know, I acknowledge you're the lamb. In other words, you have to acknowledge and recognize you need saving from yourself. Just like me, you need someone who's going to come and free you from your own stuff. Because you acknowledge you can't fix yourself and you can't get yourself out of these habitual patterns, patterns of sinfulness and addictions that you want to break but you can't break. You need someone to take the penalty and free you from the power of the sin. And Jesus says, I'm the lamb and I'm going to finish. I fulfill every sacrifice. You have to recognize him as the lamb. And then you have to do exactly what Jesus does. Jesus comes not to take the throne by force, but to lay his life down. If you want to follow him, you have to lay your life down. You have to surrender. You don't have to sacrifice to him. You don't have to bring anything to, for him. You don't have to try and win his approval. You surrender to him. That's what you bring. You just bring you and all your need. And then the promise of scripture is this. Just as Jesus was lifted up, and we will celebrate that next Sunday. So if you surrender to him, if you acknowledge him as king, if you say, I need a lamb, I needed a sacrifice because I cannot do this, just as you surrender, so your life will be lifted. You will be remade, made new. I want to encourage you today as we respond. And we think of this Sunday as they welcome Jesus. I want to encourage you to welcome him. Not in a way where you wave palm branches and then the next minute you go off and do something, to, but like where you kind of go, okay, you got me. You got me. I'll welcome you. For some of you, that'll be the first time. For some of you, it'll be like, I've been a Christian for a long time, but I've just wandered off and I'm just nowhere near where I should. I just, my heart is miles away from God, but I want to come home. 
And for others of us, you just, you just need to say again to him, you're the king. I'm grateful that you came for me and you're the king.